wonderful to see so many in Sunday school this morning. That, uh, it was really excellent, an, an, an excellent time. And I really want to encourage you, if you didn't come this morning, um, I mean, my goodness, I think the whole fellowship hall was filled. And um, it, what, it's, that's not the reason to be so excited. The reason to be so excited is um, about what can come from this. And folks, for you that um, have attended this morning in Sunday school, what can come from it really is to spread it into your homes and your neighborhoods. That's going to be exciting. And I, I hope and pray that you will consider it uh, for yourself, you know, of being a host home. It doesn't mean that you necessarily have to be the leader, but to be a host home and, and encourage others to come, especially your neighbors, your co-workers, your friends that, you know, are just kind of miffed with Christianity. You know, I think all of us know it, you can be attending church all your life and still be kind of miffed with Christianity. And we get confused. And we get kind of all tripped up over stuff. And this is a series that's going to help us. And we're going to, we want to keep showing this series to Sunday school here for us so that we can then effectively take it into our neighborhoods here in Fallon. And I think it will be use of God in a mighty way. But it's not up to one person. It's not just one person or two or three or four. It's a matter of a number of us uh, jumping on it and pulling together in this way. So um, please consider it. And if you didn't come this morning, you missed out. We hope you'll come next week, okay? All right, I'm going to embarrass someone. Everyone turn around and look at Jason Bradley back here. Jason, it's great having you here. Yay. Sure good to see you. All right. Okay, we're starting a new series. We're going to start a series on our Christians, our living hope. Our living hope. Now, the title of this message is Here's Hope. Now, there's a whole lot of places to start with this. Um, I know that one really would be uh, starting with Genesis, with the rainbow that God put out. There's hope. That's not a cultural sign that a certain group grabs on and holds to and says, this is our rainbow sign. This is God's sign for us to always, always, always remember what he said in Genesis. And it provides hope. So next time you see a rainbow, you remember, there's hope. Um, there's hope that we need. I need hope and you need hope. Every day. And I know that last year, we had a number of uh, little bundles of joy delivered to our congregation that provide great hope. Little babies, right? And we all uh, 
have great hope. It, hope is in our DNA, if you will, isn't it? You hope that this little baby will grow up and have a productive life or be strong and healthy or whatever. We have hope for that baby. Um, it might be that it's an adopted baby. It might be an adopted child, whatever. We have hope for um, life. Okay? And we've got some babies uh, still coming this year. Amen? <laughs> Amen? <laughs> yeah. So, um, this morning though, what, hap- what, hap- what we know happens is that hope kind of wanes. Hope kind of fades as we get older, doesn't it? Because we end up living in the pits. Have you been in the pit? Have you been in the pit? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. And um, I want you to turn in your Bible to Psalm 130. Psalm 130. I'd like to ask you to just bow with me again in prayer before we um, study this. And I'm going to pray this psalm. Let's bow in prayer. Out of the depths we cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear our voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of our pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord... Who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. We wait for the Lord. Our soul waits, and in His word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is Steadfast love. And with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Dear Lord, please have your way here in this time. Speak to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So we're we're wanting to look at four points from this message about hope. But the problem is, as I mentioned, as we get older, as we um, walk longer on this earth, there's a tendency uh, for us to allow the the pits of life to, to kick in. And then along with that, hope ends up being redefined. Hope ends up becoming something that I'm, I'm dreaming up, that I, that I concoct. Uh, something about myself then, or, or another person, I hope, you know. And really, I want us to understand there is a big difference between hoping as we do as humans and biblical hope. There's a big difference there, and that's what we want to discover in this series as we go walking through this and studying this in the Word of God. 
But the starting point for real biblical hope is point number one. The crisis from the pit. The crisis from the pit. Now, we could just say, let's, why don't we just do a study of Job? <laughs> well, that would be a good one. But we're not going to do that now. But I want to give a reference from Job. Job chapter 5, verse 7. You can write it down. For man is born for trouble. How optimistic is that? <laughs> for man is born for trouble. As sparks fly upward. Just like sparks are going to fly upward, man is born for trouble. I'm sorry if that pops your balloons. Some of you that are eternal optimists. <laughs> I thought I was an eternal optimist in my younger days. But then stuff starts happening where you realize, you know what? I look around and I feel like I'm in the pit. And so, we break this first point down, verses 1 through 2, the crisis, or the cry from the pit, with two pleas. First of all, it's a painful plea. We acknowledge that, it is painful. Out of the depths I have cried to thee, O Lord. And behind that statement, there is pain. Because it's, from out of the depths, it's because it's from the pit, as we say. And we tend to live our lives as though we should never experience the pit. We tend to live our lives as though I don't deserve being in the depths. We ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? And that is a title of a book and maybe even a couple of books that have been published and written. But I tell you what, that's the wrong question. That's the wrong question. Why do bad things happen to good people? Who in the world says we're good people? I say you're good. You say I'm good, hopefully. You know, we say that to ourselves. We're good people. God doesn't say that. God doesn't say that. I'm sorry to pop the bubble again. <laughs> what does God say? God says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it's all too much that our life is centered around you and I and, and this life and this world and this earth and we don't have our eyes set on heavenly things. And so thus, our standard and our measurement is more with each other. And so, yeah, you're good, I'm good. But how focused are we to cry out to God? You know, and typically Christians do that. We, we typically do. We, we're crying out to God because no one likes pain. And then here's another thought. Are we really willing? Because this, this is something that we get trained to do in church. Am I really willing? Are you really willing to admit that I'm in the pits. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine, thanks. 
And we don't want to, we don't want to take the mask down, do we? We just want to you know, carry on. And I'm not one for a big, uh, kind of sob story kind of a time with each other. But it's something that we've got to stop and think about. Am I willing to admit to my close friends, and maybe to those I, I sense that I should open up to, am I willing to admit I'm in the pits? Am I going to admit that I'm continually dealing with the effects of my sin? It's not just when I came to know Christ, now I'm saved and I'm set. And I don't have to worry about it. That's what I thought, you know, when I was first saved. It's like, hey, this is great. Not a worry in the world. And then God, God starts allowing things to happen to challenge me, to test me, to test you, to challenge you, to, to see how your faith is really, is it genuine? You know, think of the examples in Scripture of the painful plea from people in Scriptures. The publican before the temple. Remember? He was just beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me! What about blind Bartimaeus? You know, crying out, Oh Lord, have mercy. What about Jonah? <laughs> Jonah from the belly of the whale. There's a pit. And Jonah cried out from the depths. Oh God. Okay. Well, it's not just a painful plea, but it's a prayerful plea, letter B. Train yourself to be praying more consistently, more carefully. Some of you are, are in the doctorate program of prayer compared to me and others. You, you've been at it, and this is what you do well. You pray, you pray. But for the, a large amount of, of Christianity, we need to be more consistent, more constant in praying. Pray without ceasing. We need to be careful in praying. Here's five marks of sincere prayer from this little, these two little verses. Five marks that it be humble. Humble prayer. Right? That's clear throughout all Scripture. Prayer ought to be humble. Prayer ought to be heartfelt or fervent. It can't just be some little thing you read out of a book. Right? It's exclusively to God. What is he saying here? Oh, Lord! Lord, hear my voice! He's talking to God. Now, for most of us, I just figure that we understand this. But I'm going to say it because there might be some in here that don't get it. Prayer is exclusively to God, not to some other pastor, not to some saint, not to some priest, not to some pope, not to Mother Mary. Okay? You don't pray to those other people. They're people. They might be dead people. But we, if we're children of God, we pray to God. And we, we need to be careful in, you know, Relaying that to our friends and, and trying to point them to the truth of prayer. Then uh, finally, it, it, well, not finally, but it, it's exclusive to God and it's reverent. The names written here, Adonai, Elohim, it's reverent prayer. It's personal prayer. 
you know, um, and I, I know these are basic things, but we say them so that everyone will start putting these pieces together about prayer. So the crisis from the pit involves, it's a painful plea and it's a prayerful plea. Okay. Number two, the second thing is, and I, I love this, that, that, that there's a calm in the pit. There can be. There can be a calm in the pit. But quite often there's not a calm. There's, a, there's further chaos. There's further distress. There's further despair in the pit. Because why? We aren't looking where we ought to look. We need to look in the right place. And what does the psalmist do? By the way, this is a psalm that's a song of ascent. They would sing these songs as they traveled up to worship to Jerusalem. And this is one of them. I, I like to call it, you know, the top 15. And I think there's 15 of them. And so there's the top 15 of Israel's uh, pop songs, you know, for praise to the Lord. Okay? And um, the calm in the pit only comes when we remember who God is. When you're having trials and difficulties and, you know, the, the pits of life, we need to remember who God is. And that's what the psalmist does. But look at what he does here in verse 3. He says, all of a sudden it's like out of the blue. If thou, O Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with thee that, they, that thou mayest be feared. Okay? So, these are... This is a critical point in this psalm that we turn our thoughts to who God is. So letter A, we remember that in the midst of the pit, He is just. He is just. He will deal with all in a just manner. If thou, O Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, what is that saying? Well, by the way, He does. It's not saying if He if he's going to do that, it's saying he does mark iniquities. He is a just God. Now, I might not get all this, my mind not wrap all the way around this, but this is what it comes to, and that is, it's pointing to the law. It's pointing to the law. God does keep an account. There is divine judgment to face. And you know what? If you're a Christian... Here's what's so beautiful about it. Jesus already stepped in and took the judgment for you. He's your Savior. He saved you from that, along with some other things. He saved you. He stepped in and He took the punishment. He took the judgment. But still, there's a sense of it that we need to walk through and go through this tunnel of judgment. And it's this. Where did you come... uh, to this place of conviction of sin in your life. At one point or another, you had to come to a point of conviction. I'm convicted of my sin. I am undone before God. I deserve to go to hell. Has that happened in your life? If that hasn't happened in your life, then you really will never know forgiveness. So you have to walk through, here's the judgment part first. If anyone could stand before God, who could stand? Could Mother Teresa stand before God? Well, in our estimation, we'd say, well, yeah. 
I mean, look at her. But we're not looking at her through God's eyes. See? You gotta be, you know, whether I'm in the pit or on the plains, I gotta be looking to God. Trusting Him each step of the way. So there's gotta be this business of being convicted by sin in my life by God's law. That's good. That's good. So that I will flee to the Savior. Because no one can stand before God, right? Sin must be and will be judged. And that's why Jesus came. He gave himself as the perfect substitute, the perfect sacrifice for your sin. And there was God's perfect judgment. God didn't cut any corners in judging his very own only begotten son. You know that? The full judgment of sin came upon Jesus. Now, if you've believed in him, you've run, you've come to a refuge from the wrath to come. You need to understand that because there's judgment. Judgment will come. And if you've trusted in Christ, judgment for your sins has already been taken care of. And then, remembering that letter B, he's a pardoning God. He's a pardoning God. He's merciful. He's good. Verse 4, But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. That's how change happens we understand here's no one can stand before God and here's a, a God who is pardoning, forgiving of our sins and thus here's Christ making the way to God accessible. All throughout the Bible, example after example of forgiveness is there. Think of this. Are you a blasphemer? So was Saul of Tarsus. Right? Are you a thief? You know, and all of these we think, no, I'm not. No, no, no. But in your heart, stop and think about it. In your heart, are these things true? Are you a thief? So is the thief on the cross. Are you an adulterer? So is David. Are you a fallen woman? So is Rahab. So is the woman of Luke chapter 7 who anointed the feet of Jesus. Are you an idolater? You know, I recognize a lot of these questions we think, ah, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. Abraham was an idolater. Are you a Christ denier? We'd say, no way. Peter was. You know, uh, and a lot of times we sit back and think, there ain't no way God's going to be able to forgive my sin. How could he do that? How, I mean, how could God forgive me? I mean, I, I really blew it this time. And the point isn't to give that and, and to dwell there in that pit. The point is to understand what God is doing and continues to do in our lives. He's brought about forgiveness that ought to blow our minds away, if I could put it that way. 
Now, you combine these two. That God is a just God and He's a pardoning God and that brings calm in the pit. No matter what's going on, that can bring calm to your life. And that He is our shepherd. And you combine these two, and I said it before and I want to say it again. You combine these two and realize that you will never really know forgiveness until you come to the place of, here's judgment that's happened in my life and upon my sin. Okay? Because a lot of people somehow do the little quantum leap over the judgment aspect to say, oh, I, I, I'm forgiven. Because they want that. What do you, of course we want that with, with the Holy God. But have we allowed Him to judge our sin? The Bible talks about that, that you and I, like especially at communion time, you and I ought to be judging ourselves. And that, my friend, is motivation to stop judging others. <laughs> we need to be careful about that. Because that's a, that's a label over Christianity. Okay? So, many, now, look at these, th- uh, look at verse 3 and 4. Many people in, in, uh, in scholarship and study and, and being professors of the Bible or whatever, they look at this and they say, you know what? Verse 3 and 4 provide the nutshell for all of the Bible. Here's a summary of the story of the Bible. Who can stand before God? <laughs> Nobody. And who alone is a forgiving God? He's a pardoning God. So in these two verses, we see that, yes, sin is in its fatal condemning condition against a holy God. And forgiveness with God was free, eternal, full, just and merciful. And they said, here we we see the the Mount of Sinai in the law in verse 3. Mount Sinai, there it is, the law condemning showing God's pure, holy character. But what's verse 4? What kind of mountain is verse 4? If verse 3 is Mount Sinai, verse 4 is Mount Calvary. Mount Calvary where sins are forgiven. Where blood, the perfect blood of a Savior was shed so that you might have your sins forgiven. Have you come to know Jesus Christ as, as Lord and Savior in your life? Do you know Him? And it's not necessarily just signing a paper or praying a prayer. You know, it's, it's recognizing he is, he is the Lord. Will you follow Him? Will you admit your sin? Will you turn to Him? So, we have the crisis from the pit, but then there's the calm of the pit. And number three in your outline... We keep reading in verses 5 and 6, and we will see the courage for the pit. The courage for the pit comes from the combination of His Word and waiting. From His Word and waiting. So, letter A comes by, the courage for the pit comes by applying His Word. His Word will instruct us. His Word will bring us wisdom, give us wisdom. But the key is that we apply it, folks. A lot of us know a verse. But when you're thrown into the pit, 
you gotta be better, you better be applying, applying the word to your situation, applying it, asking the Spirit of God, oh Spirit, help me to apply your truth in this very difficulty, in this trial. The believer who has put it on, you, you put it into action. That's what applying means, putting it into action. Otherwise, the word doesn't do any good. It's like this. If you know the word, you could, you know, kind of repeat it or whatever. But if you aren't really applying it to your heart and your problems and your situation, you might as well just be saying, Mary had a little lamb, little lamb. You know, that's about as good as it'll go. But see, when you apply the truth of God to the very problem, gee, I'm being anxious about this situation. What does God's word say about anxiety? <laughs> and you know. Philippians 4, 6. Okay? Things like that. Application of the word. Then letter B, it's characterized, this courage in the pit is characterized by his illustration, by serving as a watchman. you got to love this. What does he say? Verse 5, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, in his word, I do hope. That was letter A. And then verse 6, my soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. How many of you guys or ladies have had that job of being a guardsman or a watchman all night long? (laughs) You know what it's like to be out in the nighttime. And what happens in darkness? Ooh. A long time ago, as a youth minister, you learned the lesson of not playing games in the dark with a youth group. <laughs> oh, not good. <laughs> well, let's, let's turn the lights out and let's do this. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> but... It's not just that, but more serious, much, much more serious, what goes on in the dark and in culture. You know, it's like, I know, you know, here's, here's thievery, here's robbery, here's all sorts of stuff. All sorts of things that go on in the dark and, and people that do those things in the dark think that no one's looking, no one's watching. Okay? And so here we're called... If, if we're dealing with things in the pit, we're called to serve as a watchman. And what does a watchman do? He stays alert. He keeps alert. And he's looking for the dawning of a new day. And guess what? That, that connects with being in the pit. If you're in the pit, you've got to remember, I'm looking for the dawning of a new day. Now, that has immediate hope behind it and future hope to it. There's future hope always with the Christian. It's Jesus and his return. Or me dying and going to be with Jesus. So, are you, are you serving like a watchman? The watchman must stay alert because enemies abound in the dark and along with the fear, along with all the other things that come up because of the darkness, you know, imaginations pop up. 
The scripture says in 2 Corinthians 10, just mark it down, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We, Christians, we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive for the obedience of Christ. Okay? That's the idea regarding being a watchman. You know, stop and think about the pit. Being in the pit, there is this aspect of darkness to it. You can't see very far when times are difficult and whatever's happened has happened. Think of this in relation to what God wants to accomplish. Think of, you know, back when, you know, I remember it, you know, as a little boy, you can be afraid of the dark, you know. I'm talking about a little guy. Little girl. Afraid of the dark. And what does your daddy do? Dad comes in and, and maybe pulls the blankets up more and, and settles you and says, don't, don't worry. Now that's, I'm right out here. You know, don't be afraid of the dark. And our Father, if you're a Christian, that's what our Father longs to do so that fear would not take over in our hearts and lives. And He's, he's really good at that. Amen? John 16, verse 33 says, In the world... Jesus says this, you know what? In the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Okay? So there, there's courage. And there's times where you will need, you need that courage. There's things that happen to us to try and design to trip us up, to cause us to turn from the Lord, and it's a test. And we need to remember, God's saying to you, my child, have courage. Don't be afraid. You know, apply the Word of God. That's the, that's the gem in it. And you, you watch. You be watching. You be alert. Because there's other stuff that's going to come. Just after this one's done doesn't mean that more's not going to come. You've got to be on the alert. So, we recognize the crisis that's in the pit. We recognize the calm that we can have because we, we connect with who God is. And then thirdly, is the courage for the pit. Is Here's the word of God being applied. And here's the, serving as a watchman, waiting, hoping. And number four, finally we come to the confidence in the pit. The confidence. Look at verse 7. And eight. Now this, in the, in the psalm, now the psalmist or the singers kind of call everyone. It's an encouragement for all the, the people of Israel that are journeying up to Jerusalem. Everyone, come on! Everyone sing! Right? O Israel, hope in the Lord! For with the Lord there is loving kindness, and with Him is abundant redemption, and He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. He finishes this psalm with the repetition of encouragement. And so letter A, His love, His love gives motivation 
His love gives motivation. Hope in the Lord, for there is loving kindness. You say to yourself that over and over and over again, and guess what you'll start doing? You'll start realizing that that is the way it is. Because God is there. And with the Lord, there is loving kindness. And we have come to the place where I'm really familiar with that. You are really familiar with it. Oh yeah, God loves me. And we kind of say it, you know, like, oh yeah, yeah, God loves me. And I say it too. And it's like it doesn't have real solid meaning to it anymore. Because we've been so familiar with it. If it had true significance in my life, there ought to be an effect coming forth that I am loved. You saw the video, those that were in Sunday school. You know, the idea of the gospel ought to make you what? You remember? Happy dancing. He was like, it ought to make you dance. There's fireworks going all over the place. Why? Because an eternal God has made a way for you to live for eternity with Him. But I get into the pit and woe is me. Because isn't life all about me? And why isn't God doing something here with me? How come? What's the deal? Come on, God. Get your act together. You might not say it just that way, but some of the thoughts that we have come that way. I'd like you to think of this sub-point. His love gives motivation. Would you stop and think of the... Um, who was most recently? I don't know, but there's, there's plenty of examples an engaged couple. An engaged couple. And they're like, what? Why are they saying, what? Because all they can think about is their, the one they're engaged to. All they can think about is, I'm in love. And it's like we, we make fun of it, but you know what? There's a message there. And Christian, we as the church, we are engaged to Jesus Christ. And look at us. Where's our hope? You know, we, we allow the stuff of this world to drag us down and get us more and more muddy with the stuff of the pit. An engaged couple, you know, it's, it's their love, it's their thoughts, it's their, their looks to each other, their smiles to each other. But uh, all too often, we keep looking at one another in the pit. <laughs> uh, we can call them pit dwellers. Are you a pit dweller? Say yes. Yeah, you can say yes. But what kind of pit dweller are you? <laughs> Stop and think about it. Letter B, I can have confidence in the pit because his work gives meaning. His work. What's his work? It's mentioned in the, in the last verse. He will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. There's God's work. Now, good church-going people want to take over the work that God has done. And they want to start 
bringing about the redemption of themselves by good works. That's wrong. God does the work of redemption. God does the work of salvation. You, re, you yield. You and I must yield to that and allow it to start happening and respond to Him. Trust Him. Okay? And notice in the end of verse 7, there is abundant redemption. So God is continuing His what? His work of redemption. He's continuing it because he's got an abundance of it. He wants to save people. How about that? And that is good news. The catch is that he wants to use me as his instrument. But if I'm in the pit, you know, what's it going to look like? Now, being in the pit, that's a reality. That's okay to be in the pit because God really allows it to happen. God allows that. But it's how we are responding in the pit. And so, mark down Psalm 42 as another reference. Psalm 42. Why are you in despair? In verse 11, why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed in me? Hope in God. Hope in God. For I shall yet praise Him. He's the help of my countenance and my God. Okay? This gives me hope. Does that mean I'm still... um, I'm all bubbly every day? No. I used to think that, seriously. I used to think it was a matter... I, I had to be... Happy, 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 happy. You know? And then I realized, you know what? It's good, it's good that you're in the pit if you're looking to where God wants you to look. Let me tell you this. Every pit in this life, every difficulty, every trial, every pit in this life has a, has a bottom. Stop and think this through with me. Everyone, every Difficulty, every pit, every trial, every difficulty has a bottom. And in the world that God's put us in and the universe that he's made, when we look up, it's boundless. It is boundless. There is no limit to the skies and the heavens and his glory. Asking God to help us to keep looking to Jesus in the midst of the difficulty of our life, in the midst of the, the dungeon. Stop and think of the, the pits in the scriptures. Maybe at home with your children, you can come up with a correlation list, so to speak, of what are the pits of life? Uh, Daniel was in a pit called the lion's den. His three friends were in a pit called the fiery pit. Um, Jonah was in the pit of the whale, the belly of the whale. Uh, you know, it goes on. There's, uh, there's a number of things. Do that with your children. And parents, do this. Read Psalm 139 with your children. Keep reading it. Learn it with your children. Learn it for yourselves. Psalm 139. Where can I go from thy spirit? Where? God, you are there. Okay? 
Now, let's wrap it up. It's time to wrap this together. And we are not finished because we'll keep going in the weeks ahead with this idea of our living hope. And you cannot say it's our living hope unless you know the Savior who gives the hope, who is the hope. And so we again call out to you, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Put your faith in Jesus. Repent of sin and call out to Him to save you. The psalmist, listen, very important. The psalmist did not exhort us to just try harder with suffering. He didn't exhort us to just explain it away. And we've had well-meaning people try and say things like that into our lives. Well, do you understand why God's done this to you? And they're trying to explain something like that. And, you know, you, you just understand... The psalmist doesn't do that. This is with what God's trying to do and develop and refine you and bring you into more and more an image of His Son, into conformity with His Son. Now, here's where we see this beautiful gem. He doesn't say, try and explain it away. He says, understand... That in the depths, God is there. God is there with you in your trial, in your difficulty. In the pits, there is no out of bounds with God. Okay? There's no out of bounds with God. It doesn't matter so much what kind of pit we experience, what kind of difficulty, because every pit has its bottom. With God, it's just endless uh, potential here of what He'll do through this difficulty. Okay? So the idea is that we would learn how to function in grace in what He's provided. It's through His grace that we have hope. Okay? It's through His grace that we have forgiveness of sins and that we can... Say, you know what? He's working on me. Is He working on you? Do you know that? If you have questions, if you have problems, we want it to be a... This is, a, this is not a perfect place. We want you to feel free to you know, talk to one of the elders, talk to one of the deacons, talk to a Sunday school leader or director. We want, we want to have you understand that... Um, we understand that we are flawed people. <laughs> and Jesus is our hope. Okay? Jesus is our hope. Um, this has a lot of meaning to me. And um, I am wanting to bring about different passages throughout the Bible. And it's not going to go on for months and months, but it's going to be a a series that I want to just continue to bring forth these gems that you can appreciate if you're in the pit. And then um, when the gem shines, uh, it, it brings glory to our Father. And when God is glorified, people see that, you know what, you're acting different in this in this difficulty, what what's with you? 
And you can say, do you know Jesus? That's what we want to do. I have a hope. Do you have a hope? And we have a song that we'd like to have you... You can listen to it. You don't have to sing along. I, I want... I, you just have to deal with me, okay? I like to sing, okay? And I, I want you to join in singing this. I want you to just stay 